1: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, welcome to At the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dintic today. We're going to break down... The AFC South, uh, the perennial 8th division in the NFL, though certainly some compelling stories and teams and a few compelling markets. One in particular that I'm very excited to get into, but we're going to start off with what we're betting at the moment. And Drew, you've got something uh, on tap that probably most people don't bet on, but certainly some edges to be had.
2: Yeah, the the entire next week for me is really going to be consuming. The World Aquatic Championships, particularly the swimming, which starts next week. Uh, anyone who's really been paying attention knows the Aquatic Championships have been going on for about a week, Jay. Uh, China just absolutely dominating the diving. And uh, to no surprise to those who follow closely, um, Spain taking over the artistic aquatic uh, division for uh for the foreseeable future which is a little bit of an upset because that used to be where the russians would dominate uh but now it is spanish territory as they have conquered uh, artistic swimming but uh really for me uh it's all about the um you know the 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 traditional swimming uh events which uh, start in earnest with maybe the most anticipated swimming race uh, of the entire calendar year maybe of the last four years actually going back to the last olympics i don't think there's been a race that's been more anticipated than the women's 400 meter freestyle which is going to be uh saturday night for those of us in the united states um you know the, it's a it's a multi-day program right they spread it out uh and uh, it will go all week next week uh, culminating with sort of the uh, the big shebang on sunday july 30th uh, of course on nbc and peacock um, but the women's 400 free is really where my handicap is focused for now because it is a three horse race where you have three women that all have a realistic chance to set the world record. And that's not that's unusual. Usually when we're talking about world record is potentially going to be broken. There is one standout athlete who is just performing that much better than the rest. But this truly is uh, three very close competitors with the United States is, of course, most decorated female swimmer. Katie Ledecky going up against the the woman who dethroned her at the Tokyo Olympics, uh, Australia's Ariana Titnus. And then, believe it or not neither of those women currently holds the world record it is currently held by canada's summer mcintosh uh, who burst on the scene as a 16 year old in tokyo and has only gotten better from there uh, realistically she is the bet for gold here realistically she is a bet to break the world record and set it in probably stunning fashion um her performance to uh you know that that really kind of opened eyes happened in in uh, in the spring uh, she has only progressed forward since then and it is going to be a tough ask for either tipness or uh Ledecky to produce the Type of quality it's going to take to beat her in this pool, Uh, and you know it's really just going to come down to nerves. If you know that was the only thing that can really stop the Canadian, in my opinion. Um, And uh, I'm excited to see those markets come up. Still waiting for prices on this, but uh, I would take um, you know Summer McIntosh to uh, as high as minus 150, but expecting a pretty even odds race. I think we're going to get Summer in the plus 120 range. You're going to see Titmus around plus 200, and Ledecky is actually going to be the long shot, which is crazy considering her uh, experience and her uh, you know her dominance of women's distance freestyle uh, in the last 10 years so very very exciting race really going to set the table big time for the 2024 olympics because um, you know this is the realistically the only time you're going to see all three women in like peak form you know you know pointing towards a specific meet uh, between now and then so this is really going to you know kind of be the measuring stick which we use to uh, handicap the olympics next
1: summer Yep, I will say that swimming is a riveting betting sport. Uh, Much like uh, I got right into it in the last Olympics, and much like rowing, there is just something about moving quickly through water to a defined endpoint, which is just an amazing. Uh, betting experience uh, particularly if you're on the winner there's nothing better also you live or die pretty quickly uh in these types of markets uh it's like which has its benefits i guess and its downsides uh to me in a way the the best and worst betting event in the world is just the 100 meter sprints because it's just <laughs> over so quickly and if you slow out of the blocks it's done but uh definitely some some angles to be had i will say these are not These are not efficient markets. They are not very liquid markets, markets, no pun intended. Uh, So uh, I will definitely trust your judgment there uh, and follow you in. And my best bet is also on a Canadian uh, Canadian group. It's uh, the Toronto Blue Jays to win the American League plus 900 I think you might be able to find some 10 to 1 about as well those odds really have not moved in the past couple of weeks which is wrong because they should have because the Blue Jays are now uh, as we record five and a half back of the division which will come with a bye because the winner of the AL Central is almost certainly not going to get a bye so if they can get that bye uh, that puts them in incredible position to win the AL but even if they don't uh, I still think I think this is pretty good value uh, in that there's now a little bit of separation between them uh, in the wild card. uh, And I think certainly with the wild cards either, I think that they're in pretty good position to get that second wild card. Uh, and also if they were to drop further down, then that would be a matchup against the winner of the Central, which is probably going to be the Twins, which is not an intimidating matchup. I think the Blue Jays with the just the injuries that the Yankees, the Astros, the Rays have dealt with, I think the Blue Jays are probably the most talented team in the American League now. Kevin Gosman, his side issue doesn't seem to be a problem. Looks like he's going to pitch on the weekend. Now, I like this bet a little bit more 24 hours ago before Alec Manoa blew up again, uh, but I think the whatever you get from Manoa is just gravy at this point. They have Huinjin Ryu who's going to come back. He's on a rehab assignment at the moment. And just between Ryu and Bassett and Berrios and Kikuchi, there's just enough depth there. I think they'll probably add a starter at the deadline as well if Manoa doesn't show something in his next couple of starts. So I think there's enough depth there around Gosman, And then it's a lineup of stars and superstars. So I think that the Blue Jays, uh, in an AL that's fairly vulnerable, there's no... There's no Atlanta Braves anchoring down the AL. None of these teams, I think, are juggernauts. I think the Rays would have been a juggernaut, but the fact that so much of their pitching has gone down. And now the Rays, they're they're one more injury away. And by the way, Shane McClanahan's been dealing with a back injury for about a month now uh, that seems to flare up and flare down. If he goes down, then all of a sudden the Rays are in huge trouble. So I think the AL is very vulnerable. Uh, I don't really believe in the Orioles and their pitching. So I think that the Blue Jays are the best team to target at the moment. What do you think? I think that's a fantastic handicap. I
2: fully agree with your sentiment that the Nash- the American League is there for the taking. Uh, a long price coming in shouldn't shock any of us. Uh, and, yeah, the Blue Jays buyers at the deadline, particularly to get a, an arm, uh, maybe pick off one of the White Sox uh, or uh, maybe, maybe go uh, – um, you know, just go to the NL maybe and find a, a team that, uh, is deciding to, to pack it up and looking for some assets. But, um, yeah, if they can get an arm at the deadline, that's a team that uh, is going to be a tough, tough, tough out in the uh, playoffs. And, you know, they have exactly the right kind of composition for teams that tend to pop in,
1: in the month of October. So, um, yeah, that's a fun, fun play. And, uh, I'm going to join you in that like it. So I think that they should be more in the plus 650 range and pretty much everywhere is longer than that, but you should be able to get some some 10 to 1 about the Blue Jays. And I think that they're a better bet for the pennant than the World Series. I I think they'll be, on average, slight underdog in the World Series uh, and the market is treating us that they'll be a slight favorite. So I think there's a bit more value on the pennant. All right, before we get into the AFC South, a reminder that Juan Soto, and the San Diego Padres are looking to climb back into the postseason picture. They'll have a shot to inch closer on Sunday MLB leadoff in Detroit when they face the Tigers, stream it all live on July 23rd at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, exclusively on Peacock. All right, AFC South. Let's start off with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are favorites to win the division at minus 155. Win total set at nine and a half, pretty heavily backed over there. Minus 150, 10 to one to be the one seed in the AFC. Ooh. 14 to one to win the AFC. Altogether, 25 to one to win the Super Bowl. Uh, and we'll get into some player markets after that. But what's your overall read on the Jags? Is minus 155, is that too aggressive or do they no. warrant being that, that price?
2: No, fair price in my, for, for me is closer to minus 250. Uh, wow. And it's it's because they they have they cle- they clearly, clearly, clearly have the best quarterback in this division. And, um, you know, realistically, uh, we, we've made our case, I think, a couple of times in some of the offseason pods for why there is some tremendous upside for the Jaguars. And it comes from the fact that six of their games are against the other teams in this division uh, who have huge, huge question marks. And um, I so I'm already pretty heavily staked Jaguars. And I'm, I may sound like a, a Jaguar apologist here, but the move that the Titans made to get um you know uh, DeAndre Hopkins I think that actually even solidifies the Jaguars in this division because I think that makes the chances that the Titans take care of business against the Colts and the Texans that much more likely right Colts and the Texans are a, are a scary team that could Eventually develop into something as they go through the balance of the season. Um, and if they get a couple extra wins against the Titans, then now you're looking at a potential. You know, you know, now now the pressure is on the Jaguars towards the end of the season. But I think the Titans can kind of keep the Texans and Colts down early. Uh, Jaguars, I have significantly you know better than the Titans as a team overall in terms of their roster. And they you go know, the case for the bull case for the Jaguars is pretty straightforward. Doug Peterson is an outstanding coach. This is year two now that Trevor Lawrence is in his system. And if you look at what Trevor Lawrence. last year it wasn't necessarily the quality of defenses he faced dropped that was uh you know that kind of led to his emergence as a player because we were you know five six weeks into the season the you know the narrative around the 2021 quarterback class was are all of these guys busts like there, no one had really put it together to that point, including Trevor Lawrence, who struggled out of the gate last season, uh, had some ups and downs, a couple of a couple of hot moments early in the season. But really, until it wasn't until after Thanksgiving that you really started to see the game slow down for him. And I think that's pretty scary for everyone else in the AFC. You don't want one more, uh, you know, kind of elite quarterback to have to go through. And, you know, if you want to, you, you know, people have have kind of gotten past the point where, they are understanding um, how weak this division is and how much that favors them to get a favorable seat in the AFC. And they've gotten to the place where they're like, the Jaguars aren't that good. This is going to be the division that I'm going to make a case for a long shot. And it's going to be this team for this reason. And in reality, all of all three other teams are fatally flawed. I think the Jaguars have a nice nu- u- nucleus of young defensive players. Their offensive line is maybe the only question that I had. Um, although their interior offensive line is quite strong, it's mostly just the tackle position that is a question mark, and that is largely because Cam Robinson is going to be suspended for the opening portion of the season. But his suspension now is only four games. I think uh, the fact that you get uh, the, you know that they spent you know first round draft capital on Anton, Anton Harrison is huge uh, for him to fill in in that time frame uh, and then I think uh, you know this offense has the potential to get better as the season goes on and they have a relatively weak schedule which is really the key ingredient in all of this um, Jaguars uh look they you know they, they play some tough teams most notably uh, I circled the game against at the bills which you know when you knew who where opponent you know which who who was playing who and where that was a bad game for them On the schedule. Well, schedule makers did them an incredible solid by making that game in London. And oh, by the way, the Jaguars play in London leading into that game. So all of a sudden, they have the travel advantage in a game that was expected to be a Buffalo Bills home game. Uh, This is a weird kind of wrinkle in the schedule making, um, but I think realistically, that helps. Uh, you know, give them a better chance to get that particular win. And if they're beating some of the higher level teams in the AFC on top of taking care of business against the weaker opponents on their schedule, then uh, 10 to 1 to be the one seed in the AFC is not crazy. And then if you're already in week two of the AFC playoff picture and have a home game in week two against in the AFC playoff picture, then uh, I really don't know why you can't make another step forward. This is let us not forget. This is a team that went through some pretty incredible adversity last year they were down 27 nothing in the playoffs at home found a way to win Doug Peterson Trevor Lawrence have exactly the kind of makeup a team that I don't mind getting behind at all so for me it is all roses when it comes to the Jaguars in terms of their ceiling this year and I am uh, I am uh, not, not intentionally, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm ignoring some of the uh, the naysayers kind of pointing at some of the issues about that roster and uh, and some of the downside, because I, I really just don't see any other team that has anywhere close to the same ceiling uh, within their division.
1: Yep, no, I agree. Definitely on the ceiling point. I think the, the thing with the Jags. As you mentioned, it's just that the gap between Lawrence and every other quarterback uh, was already pretty material, I think, and should only be expected to grow given that you know he's in his third year and he made pretty significant strides from year one to year two. And also just the generational type of prospect that he was, you'd expect him to, you know, make a... Joe Burrow type of leap. Certainly, he's got that kind of talent. The only thing is, which you mentioned as well, the fact that they have a first-place schedule and they have these extra games against Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, that is the one deterrent. But certainly, you would think that if Lawrence stays healthy uh, and they avoid mass injuries, that they should be able to win this division pretty comfortably. Not a great pass rush would be the other thing outside of Josh Allen. Um, but it may not really matter in this division. So fives. faves. Are, <laughs> are concerned you concerned about the pass rush? Uh, a little bit, but Trayvon Walker was
2: drafted first overall. If he doesn't, if he he's doesn't, really doesn't yeah, I know. But if he if he doesn't take a step forward and provide, um, you know, the disruptive force that lets some of the other guys, you know, Josh Allen, I, I give Josh Allen a, a tremendous grade as. A pass oh, he's rusher. fantastic! Yeah, he's just tre- awesome. tremendous. Yeah, it's, and, and so basically, it, to me, it, it starts with Trayvon Walker. If he's able to be the disruptive force that warrants the first overall pick, um, then I think that unlocks a lot of these other younger guys for, for a little bit more potential. What I would ask you is, are you ready to go Jags Moneyline with me week two as we welcome the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, in who may be looking past the Jaguars in that spot? Uh, I think the Jaguars have that one circled. And uh, that you know that win combined with the uh, the advantage over the Bills could uh, you know that's really what we're looking for here to get a ten to one home. Are, are you are you are you ready to, to play Jags money line week
1: two? <laughs> Jags money line week two. KC will have an extended break right off the, the Thursday yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. What's the line in that one? Probably going to be KC
2: minus six ish.
1: Yeah, in Jacksonville. I, I think the Jags might start to get a little bit more market respect. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if they can win that, because obviously they are favored against Indy, and then it's Houston, Atlanta after that KC game. So if they win that KC game, they're a pretty good chance to be 4-0. and zero. I, just think, I think the Jags, and we talked about the same thing last year, where just Lawrence gives them an incredible amount of variance and upside, where, yeah, it, it is not outside the realm of possibility that they could be the one seed, uh, particularly with racking up those wins uh, against the lesser teams. And also the fact that they play Kansas City and Buffalo um, does have a little bit of upside for the one seed, if you're going to bet on that, because those are the two teams that they're most likely to be competing with. You'd rather not play them at all, but there (laughs) is some upside in being able to take care of business uh, in beating them. So, yeah, I think the Jags, are rightfully the favourites in terms of awards markets. Trevor Lawrence sixteen to one MVP. I don't really love that at the price. Uh, Offensive Player of the Year candidates: Travis Etienne, Calvin Ridley, sixty-six to one. Can't get involved there. Doug Peterson twenty to one Coach of the Year. I think that's a better way to bet one seed. Just because if they get the one seed in the AFC, then I think Doug Peterson will win Coach of the Year. So hmm. I'd rather back that at twenty to one than back ten to one one seed. At the same time, I feel like Doug Peterson kind of had his coach of the year uh, well, his coach of the year shot last year uh, with the first year bounce with winning the division. So I think that creates a little bit of a higher bar. He's not going to win coach of the year if they go 12 and five and are a three seed. Like I think that's going to happen. He needs the one seed or 14 wins, something in that range. So he would be the only one that I would look at entertaining uh, a bet. But I think there are probably better ways to bet the Jags. Uh, Let's go talk about the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Forever a team that I think I'm low on relative to consensus heading into the season. Feels like the market, though, has adjusted where now there's a decent amount of pessimism where their win total is set at 7.5. The under is slightly backed at minus 120. They're plus 220 to make the playoffs, plus 325 to win the division, 40-1 to to win the AFC. Uh, Are you lukewarm on the Titans? I am, and it
2: really comes down to some of the holes on this roster, particularly in the offensive line. Um, they have addressed one of the key holes, which was the wide receiver position, bringing in DeAndre Hopkins. That does help elevate that that group overall. Um, but I still really don't see an offensive line that's going to be able to provide protection to a player in Ryan Tannehill who needs protection, number one. Uh, and number two is is uh, definitely injury-prone as well. Um, if this turns into uh, Titans can't find ways to get to you know, 24, 27 points on a given weekend, um, then I think they're in a little bit of a trouble. Uh, they have a pretty outstanding, you know, kind of handful of players, particularly in the front seven. Um, but I see issues with some of the, uh, you know, players that they have in their secondary, combined with uh, uh, just in general, a little bit of a, um, uh, an approach that doesn't exactly fit the current, uh, you know, state of defenses in the NFL. Like they look defendable to me. And yes, if, you know, Derrick Henry comes back with a purpose this year and is, you know, kind of the monster that we remember from years past, then, uh, you know, all of a sudden this Titans team could be quite scary. But for me, at least, uh, the offensive line is one of the weakest in the NFL. They didn't really make any moves that really moved the needle for me in, in the offseason. Maybe My biggest move, I guess, was drafting, Peter Skaronski, who you know, maybe he pops week one, maybe he pops day one, but I think is going to take a couple years to really be able to find his role with that unit. And uh, interior offensive line looks like a problem. They're going up against a number of teams this year that have really outstanding interior pass rush, and I think ultimately that helps unwind things here in Tennessee. And they're going to have a tough decision to make about whether they stick with Tannehill for the duration of the season or whether they pivot to trying to develop and just kick the tires on Will Levis to see if he's a guy that they want to build around for the future. I know they. Invested, you know, round two draft capital in him. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, for what it's worth, it's, it's it's not like you would expect him to come out of the gate and be uh, a guy that's uh, winning football games this year. So um, it's going to be f- interesting to see how they treat their you know, success or failure through the first half of this season, and whether that leads them to continuing to push for a wild card or a division title, or whether they decide to, uh, you know, build for the future, which would be, you know, putting Tannehill on the shelf and giving Levis the rep. So um, that's kind of the expectation I have for this team. But the market looks to have already kind of entirely gotten to that conclusion themselves with seven and a half as a win total. Um, that that looks right. Um, I don't think there's an, a screaming uh, edge to be had here one way or the other because for. You you know, for some of the issues that I have with the way that the Titans have gone about building this roster, uh, Vrabel is still a good coach. He's a coach that can absolutely get the best out of his players. He has shown some ability to really develop uh, a couple of guys to you know who had the talent to get to elite status, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, it's not doesn't feel great doubting Vrabel, um, but uh, this is a team that looks like they're going to be stuck in purgatory for a while. Um, they had the chance to really pull the ripcord and tear it all down, try to get some assets for their best players. And then, you know, really try to rebuild on the fly. And I thought that was their strategy heading into last season, but the early season success they had caused them to completely reevaluate things. GM gets fired. Uh, Vrabel gets the keys and now I think they're probably a team that's going to be hitting that seven eight nine wins uh, for the foreseeable future because they have enough talent in certain positions but enough holes that uh, a good team with good game planning is going to be able to scheme up a plan to really take them apart
1: yeah they're a strange team and they're a team that I I kind of want to like because of Vrabel because uh, they do have uh, some key strengths on the roster, but again, it's just like the weaknesses are in the worst parts that you'd want them to be. Like the defense is solid overall, except for the cornerbacks, which is an important part of the defense. And the strengths of the defense are on you know, the interior defensive line or at uh, safety, which you'd rather it be uh, pass rush and corner. Uh, the team is built around, obviously, it's running game, but the offensive line is no good. So it just doesn't... Necessarily add up at the same time. I would certainly wouldn't dismiss them. There is still a fair bit of talent on the roster, and I think there's been a lot of, in a way, backlash uh, and shooting down of the signing DeAndre Hopkins. Like it doesn't move the needle at all, and yeah, it doesn't move the needle a ton, but it certainly helps them, it makes them better. Uh, because now, between Hopkins and the upside of Traylon Burks, who definitely showed some flashes last year about why he was taken so high in the draft. And, like, Tannehill is fine. Tannehill's the 19th, 20th best quarterback in the league, 17th in that kind of range. And so they have a pathway to being decent. uh, And then maybe they get fumble luck and it takes them to 10 and 7. That's certainly foreseeable. I think there is only, well, I think there's, a best way to bet the Titans, though, if you like them, uh, there is one market that just screams uh, completely wrong to me in terms of the current price, and that's Derrick Henry, Offensive Player of the Year at forty to one. That's just insane. Derrick Henry should never be forty to one to an Offensive Player of the Year until his production completely falls off a cliff, and it hasn't. Even behind a poor offensive line last year, felt like he had a kind of a par season, and he was fifteen thirty-eight rushing yards. 13 touchdowns and that was with sitting the last game of the season. He went through a torrid stretch uh in the kind of middle to back end of the year where he was torching teams putting up 200 yards on the Texans for fun. Uh Henry is still the same guy. His PFF grade is still excellent. He hasn't fallen off. Coming into last year I thought that Henry, you know, he's a prime candidate to fall off because running backs They're just not built to withstand his kind of workload, the fact that he had the foot injury. Some of his explosiveness metrics had fallen off in 2021. And then last year, he's just the same guy again. Uh, He's just the same (laughs) guy, Derrick Henry. And I kind of, this is a little bit silly to be putting this much uh, weight on the analysis. But when I was in Radio Row in Phoenix for the Super Bowl, I was walking around. It's very crowded, as you know. I was walking around on my phone, not really looking where I was going, and then I hit a brick wall, and I fell backwards, and the brick wall was Derrick Henry. Uh, this guy is not of this planet. He's the biggest human being I've ever seen in my life, and then all of a sudden, it made a little bit more sense about why the rules of getting 370 carries, why they don't necessarily apply to this person, because, uh, yeah, he's not uh, hes not like others, so yeah. I think Derrick Henry, uh, I'm just going to kind of believe in him until we see him completely fall off, and the other thing, is, he's a free agent at the end of the year. I didn't care. They're just going to run him 350 times until he breaks. And so I think he has a decent chance at flirting with 2,000 rushing yards. Uh, look, here's the thing he is shorter than 40 to 1 to get 2,000 rushing yards. And if you get 2,000 rushing yards, you're almost an automatic win for this award. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think of the king? Yeah, uh, he's built different. I think you said it right. Um, we saw this with Adrian
2: Peterson. People expected him to drop off suddenly, and he lasted another five years uh, beyond his peak. And I think that's sort of the kind of mold you're expecting with Henry, and I think that's a similar – you know, it's a fair comp. Um, you know, there I don't even actually know if there is a fair comp for Henry. He, he is built different. He's one of one. And, um, yeah, the, the offensive line is maybe the only thing that concerns me. Um, and also the scheme, the predictability – we, we don't know exactly what we're going to get, but if it has Mike Brabel's fingerprints on it, like some of the, you know, key moments of last season, uh, then all of a sudden uh, I'm a little nervous that he's looking at eight man boxes, uh, in which case, even if you are superhuman, there is a limit. <laughs> and so uh, they, they need, you know, they, it, every expectation they're going to compete every week. They're going to go for it, you know, unless something truly goes sideways with them. Uh, and in the best possible scenario, where Tannehill starts seventeen games, the offensive line gels through the balance of the season, and then this becomes literally the Derrick Henry show down the home stretch. Absolutely live for offensive player of the
1: year, and forty-one is a steal. Yep, I think the thing is with the eight-man boxes. Like you dealt with them last year, Uh, there were games where Malik Willis was a quarterback, and certainly it slowed him down, but he's still four and a half yards per carry on insane volume. He is the one guy where obviously that it doesn't help, but he can at least put up some respectful production through that, and maybe a bit bit more of a spaced floor with DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks getting better uh, and more health for Tannehill, perhaps. But yeah, look, I think that the Titans are probably going to struggle and be a seven and ten, eight and nine team, and that would rule him out. But certainly there's scope for them to win 10 games and for Henry to just be a monster again. So right now, here's my favorite bet in that market at that price. All right, before we get to the Indianapolis Colts, a reminder with the NFL season quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Roto World Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code DRAFT2023 to save 20% at checkout.
0: Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference we come to work every day to do it the right way even if it's the hard way because if it's not right for us it's not right for you Dietz and watson it's a family thing since 1939
1: reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil
0: Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive draw. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.
1: All right. Indianapolis Colts, one of the stranger teams in football. Their win total is set at six and a half. They are plus 550 to win the division, plus 350 to make the playoffs. If you like the Colts, probably better off just betting the division, I think. Uh, 60 to one to win the conference. I don't think they'll be doing that. Now, they're just a strange team because they came into last season as, what, minus 135 favorites to win the AFC South and were just a complete disaster. They ended the season prior as everyone's favorite Super Bowl team uh, heading into the playoffs after they you know, took down the Patriots uh, and had really good showings against the Bucks, and they destroyed the Bills and all that type of thing. And then they were just a complete catastrophe last year. A big chunk of that was the quarterback situation, which has been completely revamped with now Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson in town. But what do you think of the Colts? Do you think there's any upside here, or are they just going to be a 6-7 win team? I think there's upside here, but boy, oh boy, do we need to be patient, in my opinion. Um,
2: the Shane Steichen era has significant promise. Shane Steichen is a coach that I can definitely see kind of fulfilling kind of the next generation of kind of good – you know, big thinkers, smart schemers, uh, understands kind of how to pick up the plus EV aspects of, uh, you know, being a head coach, decision-making in-game. All, all of those things he should be able to carry over from what was an outstanding program uh, and really just an outstanding regime in Philadelphia. It's going to take time, though, because this is a roster with huge, huge holes. The, uh, they have one of the uh, most lopsided offensive lines in the NFL. and You know, they have an all-pro um, in Quentin Nelson and then really nobody else. Um, so whoever is behind center week one, be it uh, Gardner Minshew or, or Anthony Richardson, they are going to have very little time to operate. Um, I would expect that, uh, Shane Steichen has kind of a a unique approach for how he's going to deploy Jonathan Taylor, who I think still has gas in the tank. Um, but again, like the quarterback play is going to be up and down, uh, particularly early in the season. Um, if anthony richardson wins the job to start week one that maybe says something about his you know his development that he is on a faster track than you know your average rookie um because from you know you know his knock during the draft process was really yeah yeah i mean he's gonna be amazing he's got elite athleticism but you can't really start him week one so you know there's gonna have to be a little bit of a rethinking uh of his particular ability uh if he is the week one starter um but Ultimately, their schedule through the first half of the season is very, very challenging. Really, really difficult uh, strength of opponent, really difficult situational spots left, right and center. Um, But the schedule down the stretch, they face a whole slew of teams that could have rookie quarterbacks, second year quarterbacks or guys just, you know, just guys with injury red flags that could be uh, you know you could be looking at uh, second stringers there so um, I think the Colts are going to be a bet on week in week out as we come down the home stretch of this NFL season but uh, I that's kind of conditional on them looking not great early (laughs) so for my own kind of sake of the longevity of the betting uh, 2023 in the NFL, I'm going to hope that they struggle out of the gate. I'm going to hope that things look ugly, that the quarterback play is inconsistent, and then we get to get them add value down the stretch.
1: Yeah. I, I think you touched on the thing that to me is the most interesting aspect of the Colts from a betting standpoint. And that's if Anthony Richardson is the week one starter, because that tells you so much about what they're seeing from him at practice and the thing with that is like that is such valuable intel if he is the week one starter because generally organizations are going to make the right decision in that spot particularly because they have Minshew who is fine as a guy who can be a placeholder if your rookie quarterback is not ready yet like he was kind of he was built in a lab for that role really Gardner Minshew was the uh he would be like a a 1.8 war baseball player Just fine Not good Not good, certainly But fine enough to get you through And so if Richardson is the starter Over Minshew if that gets announced Then I'd be rash- rushing to back Plus 700 offensive rookie of the year uh, On Anthony Richardson But yeah, outside of that I mean, the offensive line Like Quinton Nelson hasn't been the same guy now for two years, and in 2021, he was dealing with, uh, I think, a really bad ankle injury, and he was just pushing through it, but he wasn't great last year by his standards, and they have talent on the offensive line with guys like Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly. Like These guys have been really good at points of their career, Uh, and you add that with Jonathan Taylor, who should be healthier and was dealing with injuries last year for the first time in his entire life, basically. Uh, I think that there is some upside on the offense. Michael Pittman is still a really solid receiver. Uh, Alec Pierce maybe has a little bit of upside, but on the defense, which was fine last year, that was the good part of their team. I mean, the fact that they've lost Isaiah Rogers, who was suspended by the league and then cut by the team, like he was their best corner last year alongside Stephon Gilmore. Both of those guys are gone now, so now there's nothing at cornerback. Safety is a question mark, too. Uh, It feels like they haven't had a pass rush since Dwight Freeney left. Uh, They just haven't been a team that's been able to rush the passes. So I think there are huge question marks across the board, and that adds up to why they are uh, set at six and a half as their win total. Uh, In terms of other awards markets, We've talked about Shane Steichen, 22 to 1. I think the fact that they are plus 550 to win the division and Steichen is 22 to 1. If you like them to win the division, think you're better off just betting Steichen because I'd say he's more than a one in four chance to win that award if they do win the division. And then Jonathan Taylor, Offensive Player of the Year, 25 to 1, which uh, just seeing that name next to those four letters uh, hurts me after my 70 to 1 Taylor went down, uh, as I've mentioned many a time a couple of years ago. But do you like? taylor uh, in a resurgent year i mean he was 10 to 1 to win this award this time last year 25 to 1 now or is this the team going to be too bad so i the the specific
2: way in which they are likely to lose games is what would keep me off of taylor secondary is miserable teams are going to be able to pass on them which means your plan a if you come in with a good passing attack is going to be able to put Points On this Colts team and then turn around and put their offense in a situation where they're from they're coming from behind they're forced to throw and the offensive line issues would be lead to sacks game you know you know big time games game swinging game stopping plays for their opposition so they're going to need to go up against teams that have you know when they're up against a team that has uh, you know sub you know subpar quarterback play andor or no skill position players and they also have you um, the you know the potential for um a defense that you know they're going up against a defense that doesn't have a good pass rush then all of a sudden in that game jonathan taylor could pop you know he would be the guy but uh, i think those are few and far between as i look at their schedule right now uh it's enough that uh you know you i would wait until uh either they find a little bit of cohesion on the defensive side of the ball some of the younger players you know develop some some quality uh or uh you know or just pass entirely if we never see that come together because they're going to be at a deficit a lot and that's going to kind of take the ball out of taylor's hands to a degree
1: yeah also i don't like that they play in a division with uh the jags and the titans who have excellent run defenses that's balanced out a little bit by the texans having a terrible run defense but that's four games out of six against divisional opponents where you know, you wouldn't expect the Taylor's getting five yards per carry. Uh, should note quickly that Nate Atkins uh, of the Indy Star said on the Road, Road Football Show that the Colts are prepping Richardson in camp this summer for all the reps that a starter would take. Uh, still, for Offensive Rookie of the Year, Richardson plus 700, I would still wait uh, just until there is a bit more momentum and it becomes more obvious that he is the starter. I don't think the price should move too much uh, until that point. I'm, I'm
2: still hesitant even to fire if he's week one starter because, again, like you, the idea that he's going to light the league on fire out of the gate, I'm not there. Uh, sure. And so if he's, you know, if he's 0-4, if he's throwing picks, if the game is moving too fast for him in the month of September, that could drift. Uh, but you know, ultimately, the idea of him just accruing some stats at the beginning of the season and then having a schedule down the stretch, which kind of affords him the ability to come in hot, that intrigues me a lot. Uh, making a kind of a midseason play on on on, on Richardson.
1: Yep, certainly. And if he's he's the type of person where, if he's keeping the job and he hasn't tarnished his stats too much, but Bijan has started out incredibly, uh, and all of a sudden Bijan Robinson after week three is you know minus one forty to win O'Roy and Richardson is out to forty to one, uh, then that's the type of time you'd jump on that. But I mean, at the moment, I think the best bet in that market is still just Bijan Robinson at plus two fifty. Uh, I think with health, uh, he is going to take some beating. Let's talk about the Houston Texans who have an offensive rookie of the year candidate themselves in CJ Stroud. They are six and a half uh, as their win total. The under is back there, minus 140 on bed MGM five to one to make the playoffs nine to one to win the division 80-1 uh, to one to win the AFC. Uh, people can place that bet with me uh, if they are keen to back the Texans. To make it <laughs> uh, what do you think of the Texans? How is this going to be a five, six-win team or do they have any upside in scope? No, I think that's exactly the
2: right qualifier. Um, but at the same time, uh, I would expect that the Texans are a team that um, covers spreads double-digit times this season. In fact, I'm going to bet on the Texans a lot, particularly if they're getting... You know, uh, you know, a chunk of points like they are week one against the Baltimore Ravens. You're telling me that this quality, you know, the, the Texans, um, they have huge question marks on offense, starting with the quarterback position, of course. Being, you know, so we're, we're assuming CJ Stroud gets the week one start. He's going to be inconsistent out of the gate. The wide receivers that he has to work with are, Bob. I think this is the 32nd uh, ranked skill position group that I have in the entire NFL, um, and. You know, it, it's going to be tough for him to really, really hit any kind of high ceiling in terms of quarterback play uh, with the pieces that he has to work with there, even if he does have good protection behind an OK offensive line. Um, good scheme. Uh, we you know, bring, presumably bring over a lot of what they used in San Francisco, which is exciting. Um, but really, the defensive side of the ball is what excites me here. They have kind of a, a relatively good starting defense in terms of player personnel without many holes. And they have a deep defense, so if they sustain a couple injuries, the guys that are going to be backfilling uh, the starters are pretty darn good. And for uh, Demeco Ryan's defensive scheme that uses wave after wave of pass rushers uh, and really likes to you know kind of rotate players in pretty aggressively, the fact that they have a deep bench is, I think, pretty important. And so I think the defense is going to keep this team in games. It's just a matter of if C.J. Stroud can get to 20 points and avoid the key turnovers, particularly an end-of-game scenario. So, um, I think the Texans are going to be a pretty fun team to bet on against the spread, uh, particularly when you're getting a big, uh, a big number. And um, yeah, this is one of those teams that could cover five, six weeks in a row like the Falcons did out of the gate last year and people still aren't going to believe in them as being good. Um, and so this is uh, this is kind of a, f- a team. I don't mind planting a bit of a flag in as underpriced by market, at least as we sit here today.
1: Yeah, certainly there's definitely pause for them to be, I wouldn't be shocked at all if the Texans finished second in the division. And I mean, the win total isn't far that far off the Titans anyway, but there is talent and competence littered throughout the roster. Uh, and they do have some high upside guys who I think last year, you know, for various reasons, just didn't perform. Derek Stingley was terrible. Uh, you would expect that given his pedigree coming in that he should be better. Uh, guys like Jalen Petrie, who's had counting stats, but just didn't really, uh, certainly didn't have the PFF grade, uh, where he was terrible. And then we had receiver, which isn't great at the moment, but John Mechie certainly has some upside. Nico Collins is fine. Robert Woods was not good last year, but also was in a terrible system uh, in terms of being able to put up production. So, yeah, if Stroud is decent, uh, which he was you know, he and Young should be the two most pro ready quarterbacks. Uh, then I think that there is a little bit of upside, upside to get to competence at least. Uh, if I was going to make one bet on the Texans, though, Damian Pierce is 40 to 1 to win the rushing title. Uh, Damian Pierce, I think, is going to get a lot of opportunity. Uh, and he's just excellent last year in terms of his broken tackle rate all of those kind of stats around running backs, he was just excellent. I think he's going to get a fair bit of volume as well. Uh, And in a league now where there just aren't that many, you know, workhorse, three down running backs, where it's really just, you know, Henry, Taylor, uh, Chubb now with Kareem Hunt gone. There's just not that many guys. And so Damian Pierce could certainly see him being one of the top five running backs um, just with the amount of attrition at the position too. It's not going to take much for Damian Pierce to win the rushing title with 1,600 yards or so. So that would be my one look. Uh, any interest in Will Anderson, Defensive Rookie of the Year at plus 400 or Stroud at plus 850 on the offensive side? I, I like Will Anderson, Defensive Rookie of the
2: Year a lot. Okay, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of other guys that I think have his high floor, um, so he's going to contribute. He's going to be out there a lot. He has to be out there a lot. <laughs> they traded away the future for him, um, and you know to a degree, uh, I think Demeco Ryan's system is kind of perfectly built for him to really succeed in the counting stat department. Um, and, you know, the price isn't one that's really going to make you, you know, fall in love with it. But uh, of the potential guys who can make a meaningful impact uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Anderson's very much at the top of the list for me. And I, again, like I think, you know, we're going to get to a spot halfway through the season where there will be a kind of conversation had about, are there, is the Texans defense good? Uh, because they have a lot they have a lot of they have a really decent front seven and they're really deep uh so it's it's uh, to me at least i think he could be kind of the an important piece in what ultimately is a pretty surprise unit
1: yeah I think will anderson uh has a lot of kind of Malcolm Brogdon, sixth man strong default winner type of type of vibe where very, maybe very much, yeah. Have, yeah maybe doesn't have the explosive upside but might just be the safest bet uh, on the board and I think he is rightfully the favorite. All right, that is it for the AFC South. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks for watching. On the NBC Sports YouTube channel, please don't forget to rate and subscribe. You're listening to us in podcast form from Jake Croucher and Drew Dinsick. We'll see you soon.